All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market can you see it? did you know checked but the puck comes right to Pedersen who tries a bank pass for Besser in with a shot he scores moments notice it only fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing Company. 
My name is David Quadrelli, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Chris Faber. Chris, how are you doing? What is this, like our fifth or sixth episode in quarantine here? Yeah, I've lost count, just as you have, I guess, as well, but um, I felt like this week actually went by pretty fast. I don't know if you felt the same, but like, you know, we record on Friday, it's kind of like the only thing we have to look forward to on the week, but uh, I, I just felt like this one flew by. I had a pretty good week myself. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one, man. I woke up uh, yesterday morning, and I could have sworn it was Wednesday, even though I know <laughs> Wednesday is the day we have the Zoom calls with the players, yeah. and we had just finished up Alex Edler, but for some reason I woke up, and I was like, it's Thursday? Like, where did the week go? But it, really, it is. It's like Groundhog Day, and you just wake up, and it's one foot in front of the other, same thing every day. I'm getting into a bit of a routine, which is nice. I ordered a fancy new computer. That was my quarantine buy, and I'm ready for, ready to have that to edit these episodes. Yeah, I've heard from uh, like a few of my friends that like work, you know, like work a job similar to yours. It's not a, you know, a crazy paying, you know, trade job or like a very, you know, very high paying $30 an hour job, and they've been saying they've kind of been like doing okay on these serb checks. Like they said their bank accounts never look so high. <laughs> Well, I mean, I lost all the writing gigs too, so I can't say that quite yet, but I mean, I'm not complaining. For the amount of work I'm doing right now, I'm like, I'm making more money than I ever have for the amount of work I'm doing, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah I'm not going anywhere, I'm just waking up and yeah, like, yeah, but you know, I'd really like to get back to work. It, it'd be nice, you know, buy you lunch again. Yeah, that'd be nice. I've been, you know, I've been hoping and like holding out that maybe the mill would start up because it would be nice to get some mill money before I do go to school in the fall. Uh, and obviously, like the Canadian's job that I was supposed to work in the summer, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Though I've I've seen like some small positivity come out of Rob Faye. Like if they were to play without fans at Nat Bailey, it'd be it'd be horrible because that experience in Nat Bailey is so much fun for everyone in Vancouver. Um, but you know, there might be a slim chance that I could get back to work with the Canadian. So I'm, I'm still holding out for that. I'll have to talk to Rob. I haven't uh, talked to that guy. He's gone rogue for the last two months. Who knows what Rob Faye's up to right now? I know. I talked to him on the phone earlier this week because I'm trying to, f- we're doing, you know, like you already know, I'm doing features for their website, the Vancouver yeah. Canadians. And he was like giving me Alec Manoa's phone number and all these like Jay's prospects. And I'm like reaching out to all of them and I'm going to, I got something cooking for there. But yeah, hopefully we are both at the, uh, at Napoli Stadium like sooner rather than later. It'd be nice if that, you know, it sucks because this is the Canucks conversation and man, I would love to have hockey come back. Isn't it much easier, like, logistically, to have the Pacific Northwest League come back instead, or maybe it's just the Northwest League now, whatever it is, to have them come back with no fans rather than the NHL? Because I feel like it's just a lower stakes operation, you know, but you're still getting some organized sport. And I think those games will be on Sportsnet. I think they'll they'll figure out a way to get them televised for sure, because they already televised, like, a, a good amount of them. I think, like... I think it was like six last year. We're on Sportsnet and again. Rob Faye's on the call, uh, so it's it's pretty cool. Like it's a, it's a good atmosphere and it's a good sporting event. At you know, I love baseball, so I'd love to see it come back. But man, let's talk about some hockey, shall we? Yes, we have uh, a decent amount of news this week. Maybe that's why the week went by so fast. And you know, it felt like a lot came out today on Friday because I I saw that tweet from Matt Zakaris, uh doing some amazing reporting uh, and kind of figuring out what he kind of heard. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know if you want to read the tweet out right now. If yeah. You want. Let's start with that before we get into what happened this week with the Canucks, but this is from Matt Sakaris of TSN 1040. My understanding on why the NHL is still considering completion of the regular season despite the fact it is roughly 85% complete and time will be of the essence in any restart, 12 US-based clubs have Fox Regional TV deals, and those deals stipulate that regular season games must be completed. 
Failure to do so comes with a severe penalty. The deals roll over to next season at no cost to Fox. So, those teams would face no regional TV revenue, which would in turn hurt hockey-related revenue for the whole league. It's unclear whether the league is willing to negotiate with Fox on behalf of those clubs to find an omnibus solution, or if it will simply surrender to those terms and prioritize finishing the regular season to secure future revenues. Teams with regional Fox TV deals, Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Florida, Tampa, Anaheim, Arizona, Dallas, LA, Minnesota, Nashville, and St. Louis. You would have thought I would have read that tweet before reading it on air, because he just throws in the word omnibus there, and I just, <laughs> like, paused. I was like, what is he doing, Sakaris? Why are you tweeting well, that out? But the, like, the number one hockey podcast in the world, Spitting Chicklets, according to the charts, they wouldn't have made it through half of that. So, congratulate. People should be clapping uh, for how <laughs> you made you. it through that. And, yeah, that omnibus uh, in the middle of that, that's a, that's a squeaker from Sakaris for sure. So Harris knew I would read it on air. He's like, I'm going to throw off quads with that one. But (laughs) man, like who knows when they're coming back, but it's, it's really crazy because it looks like they're going to be pretty aggressive in trying to get hockey back. Like if you asked me, let's say two weeks ago, okay, do you think there's going to be hockey? Maybe I've been talking to players. Every player I've talked to, except for Chris Tanev, of course, has said that he doesn't want to go back and it would, well, he didn't say that, but they said it would suck to leave their families. And it's like, We've talked about it, man. Like, nobody wants to sit in New Hampshire for two weeks. Thankfully, that idea is out the out the door. But in general, I was thinking there's no chance this league comes back. Now my opinion's changed. Now I see how hard they're working to get it back. And, you know, there's that whole, uh, that players uh, committee or whatever for the NHLPA. And it has, like, Connor McDavid on it. It has, I think it's McKinnon, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's on there as well. Mm-hmm. Um representing the players in this negotiation and a chance to restart and they're trying so hard as we just learned from Matt Sakaris that's why they're trying so hard but when I look at it I see like man Gary Bettman looks really really like he looks like he's really set on getting hockey back this year and he said we can shorten next season if we have to and it becomes like, okay, what do you want to see here? Like, again, if it's a billion dollars on the line with that TV deal, of course you're going to shorten next season. So now it all kind of makes sense. But originally I was like, no, just call it quits, have the draft, have free agency, have a sense of normalcy, and we'll start on time next year. But now you bring in the money, it it's a different story. Like, I, I understand now why they're trying so hard to get this league back up and started. And to be quite honest with you, I think at some point we're going to see the finishing of this season. Like, they're going to finish it out. There's going to be a playoffs. Like, I'm not convinced that this is the end here. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I think, you know, the hard part about all this is I think you look at Canadian cities and you look at Canadian teams and then you have to look at the American cities and the American teams, right? Like, some states are opening up from what I've heard and read over the past couple of days. Like, opening back up pretty much their whole lives. You know, opening up the whole state back to regularity. And you're seeing situations with, you know, like, British Columbia's been doing a pretty great job. I heard the other day it was, like, one day only had 25 new cases. Uh, It's been on a steady, you know, downfall for a long time of having so many people into hospital and and catching this this virus, which is good. But you, you just don't know, you know, is Florida doing the same thing, right? There's two teams in Florida, and we've seen some of the craziest stuff throughout this coronavirus come out of Florida. Like, it's... The videos are insane, and you see what's going on in the United States. It's a lot different than what's going on up here in Canada. Um, you know, whether that be because we actually have more area to social distance, or maybe we're just doing a better job. I think it's a little bit of both. But yeah. it's it's going to be so hard for them to come back. But you bring up a good point. Like, 
we were worried about player contracts, you know, four or five million dollars on their contract. Like that's how much these guys are making. And if they have to play past July 1st, but now you're looking at TV deals and you mentioned it, like we're not talking millions anymore. We're talking about tens or hundreds or, you know, close to a billion dollars, depending on how much this is. And depending on, you know, it's Fox, right? It's not the sports net deal. So it's probably not as big. Uh, and it's also in the States. So, you know, I don't really know. I'd have to look that up a little bit more, but I'm guessing it's over hundreds of millions of dollars just on that revenue there. And if they miss out on a full season because they can't finish this year and that's going to roll over. Yeah, that's, that's not good for the whole NHL. So I do get what you're saying on, you know, Gary Bettman's kind of under the gun right now because he's got to make millions and billions of dollars for these owners. And if he doesn't have a TV deal, that's a huge cut in how much NHL money comes in. You're totally right. And you know what, man, like an analogy, I really think sums it up best when it comes to, okay, the curve's been flattened. Now it's time to reopen. I think the best way to describe that is you're jumping out of an airplane and you pull your parachute and you're like, great, the parachute slowed my fall down. I don't need this thing anymore. I'm just going to drop it while I'm yeah. in the air. Like you're, you're not in the clear yet when it comes to the coronavirus. Like that we know we're not in the clear. There's, that's the reason that people aren't going out and having these big social gatherings. Cause we know that can have a huge impact. Like, man, <laughs> Just you just look at how fast it was multiplying before when everything was open. Guess what? There hasn't been a cure since then. Yeah. There's nothing there's nothing you can really do to prevent the spread of it other than staying away from people. And, you know, wearing your mask, wearing your Vancouver Aquarium, Vancouver Whitecaps mask. They're raising a bunch of money for the aquarium, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh man, like I don't know about reopening everything in terms of let's get the league going because this place did it. Then all of a sudden you're worrying about players catching it. And you know what was really messed up was apparently Bill Daly said something along the lines of, yeah, if a player gets it, we're not, we're not going to stop play. And I I heard that too. Very irresponsible because yeah, I get it. But man, like you don't know everybody's situation. And if one player gets it, they're probably not going to find out for two weeks till after he's been infected or the 10 day incubation period. Sorry. And then his teammates are all going to have it because he's been around them and been on the same plane and been in the same hotel and all this other stuff, been in the same locker rooms. Well, showers, think about all... just, yeah, trading sweat with other players on the ice, right? Like, that's a huge exactly. way to transfer it. Exactly, exactly. And it's just, yeah, like, man, I just, I don't know. Like, I was, five minutes ago, I was telling you how much I think the league's coming back. And now, like because we're talking about how stuff is reopening i'm like i'm not so sure because players are gonna have to self-isolate when they come back from europe or wherever they are really they're gonna have to self-isolate make sure they're okay and really they're gonna have to i think this the only way this works is if they do it in the neutral location for each division there's no way that this works like you and i were talking about it just before we went on air they're talking about oh yeah we're gonna do it in home arenas so all you're doing is doing it without fans yeah. Well, okay, that's still a lot of players at airports every two days, two or so days. They're at an airport. Dude, like, the the thing that makes the most sense for me is having that neutral location. Whether that be Edmonton, whether it be Vancouver, it's been looked at. Different, A different city that has a hospital nearby, has hotels nearby, and a lot of them, that's what needs to happen. I don't think this is going to work in the sense of, let's just... Put them, resume the schedule as it is, put everybody in their home arenas, and we'll just have home and road games as usual. 
dude, like, if there's one thing we've learned from this virus, it's that business isn't as usual for anybody. It's not business as usual for us on Connect Conversation. It's not business as usual for anybody. And I don't think the NHL is an exception to that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's it's strange to me that we're seeing the NHL have so much talk when, you know, the NBA, we haven't heard much out of them. We haven't heard anything out of the MLB. These are these are leagues where, you know, in the MLB, they have the one Canadian team. They have the one Canadian team, in the NBA. But, like, it's it's more of just one country's problem, right? It feels like the NHL is so different because there are so many Canadian cities. It's going to be a little bit more travel, a little bit more borders. Like, can they cross the border to go into the States to play hockey? Like, I just... I don't think yeah, like the borders are locked, right? Like it's, I that's the thing. Like I just, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. I'd be mm-hmm. like, I would if I could be a fly on the wall somewhere. It would have to be you know follow around Gary Bettman to see what he's dealing with on a day to day basis, just to see like, do they know what's going on, right? Do they have any sort of plan that they are planning on rolling out here? And mm-hmm. I just I can't see a plan that works for everyone. That's the only thing that I see about this. Uh, the plan that works the best for me is canceling the season and. You know, trying to start in September and and be back to you know normal hockey and be back to a normal life at that point. Hope that the summer, because I've heard that the virus is going to be, you know, it's not going to be as easily transmitted in the summer because of the hotter weather is going to be good for it apparently. But you know, like like at the same time, I don't know too much of what I'm talking about. Talking about it in my ass a little bit here, but like I I'm just in the camp where I don't see it working out for everyone in the right way, whether it be the NHLPA, the NHL owners. Like, the NHL owners want to get back, right? They want to get back. They want to get some sort of money coming in from their TV deal or something. They're obviously not going to have fans in the stands, but, like, the NHLPA has got to be fighting back hard on this, and I just don't see them finding a way that works for everyone. I thought they'd be fighting back hard, but are they? McDavid's in the committee to get going back. Like, right. I, are they fighting back? Do we know that? I, I haven't heard anything about them actually fighting back. I assumed they would, because I would if I was the union boss. Yep. Like. I would be fighting back, but I'm, I don't play in the NHL. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows, man? Like, again, like, okay, I ask you this, Chris. You, you just said you'd rather cancel the season, which is a totally fair opinion to have, and it's one that I shared with you about a week ago. But now that you know about this TV deal and what Sakaris tweeted, does that change anything for you? Like, if you're, if you're a business owner, and that's what the NHL is, it's a business. As much as we like to watch it and enjoy it and consume its product, it's a business. If you're at risk of losing that amount of money when you could theoretically just try and pull off this, you know, they have these creative ideas, try and pull one off if it's if it's going to matter that much for your league long term. Because, yeah, like, it's easy to just say, oh, well, it's just money, who cares? But it's like, no, this is going to affect those franchises. It's going to affect the league long term. Yeah. Like, if they lose out on an entire year of a TV deal, like, that's like having a lockout, basically, without actually locking out the players. So you're still playing, but you're not getting any of that revenue. And that's, dude, like, that, to me, like, you know, we joke about the almighty dollar, but really, I think that's going to, that's, it explains why they're why they're pushing so aggressively for this, because it doesn't make sense otherwise. But Absolutely. when it comes to that... Like, dude, the league's got to stick around long term and they have to make sure they're taking care of themselves here. So from what I'm hearing from Sakaris and like everything else going on, I'm thinking that we're going to keep seeing them push to come back. And I think we're going to see it come back sooner or later. I think, you know, like I mentioned, I don't think we're going to see it this year. I don't think we're going to see the season end, but like my mind can be changed 
with a good reasoning and a good plan to roll back the NHL, right? Like if they yeah. do have a plan that works out for the players that the players are, you know, accepting and you bring up a good point. Yeah. Like maybe the owners, they lose a ton of money, but if the owners lose money, the players are going to lose money too, right? That's the way it's going to work out in the situation here. And that might be the reason why some players do want to come back. The ones that understand, you know, that they're covering the business part of it for their team or for their union or the guys that are leading in the NHLPA, they probably understand that part. And they have to be relaying that to their other brothers in that union. But that's the only thing. Like it needs to be, it needs to work. And I just, the plan isn't there for me right now, but if they do have a plan that seems to work out, there's obviously going to be criticism about it because it's, it's a strange idea to roll out a full sports league right now with what's going on in the world. But I mean, there's been a lot of rumors about like March 15th or, you know, June 1st and training camps coming back and people trying to get back into the country from Sweden or their hometowns and Russia and stuff. And, you know, like that's, you know, like where there's smoke, there's got to be fire at some point. And we've heard a lot of rumors that right now. And, you know, like it's got to be the right plan though. Like I'm, I'm fine with them playing hockey, but I, I'd be worried about their safety more than anything. And I think that's what all the players should be worried about as well. And I think that's what the players are worried about. So until there's a, a plan set in place that works out for everyone, I just, I don't see it happening. Um, but like I said, I could have my mind changed in one day. If I were to see this plan rolled out by the NHL, that does actually make sense. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, personally, I think they're going to come up with a plan, and I think we're going to see one. But right now, no. The plan they have, I don't think it's enough. There's got to yeah. be more. There's got to be more done, man. Like, this, that that's why I like that they have this committee. Again, with McDavid, McKinnon, whoever else is on there. That's why I like that they have that, because that's the players kind of doing the negotiation, and they have a direct impact on it. And they're finding something that works for both sides, and... It's good, like, it's good that they're doing that, and I do think they will come to an agreement eventually, and they're going to find a way to keep playing. I don't think the NHL is going to call it a season, man. Like, again, like, they're talking about playing until August, right? Play till August, play till September. What happens then? You start their next regular season in December or January, and yeah, you're going to play a little longer again. But you're not going to have an all-star break. You're not going to have a bye week. Travel is going to be hell for absolutely everybody. Like, man, we're talking so far in advance, but who knows what next season is going to look like, man. Bro, who knows what Vancouver, like Vancouver's schedule is going to look like next year? Holy hell, that's going to be horrible to see when it comes out. Because, like, if if other teams are going to have tough schedules, imagine how bad Vancouver's is. Oh, dude, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah, but that, okay. like you said, like we gotta, you know, we're not gonna know anything, and and I think that a plan may come down the pipe here, but uh, we do have some good news to talk about with the Vancouver Canucks and a big signing this week, so we'll dive into yes. that a little bit. Also, I don't know week. if we've mentioned it, but we do have a guest this week on the show, uh, JD Burke from Elite Prospects. He's a managing editor there. He's going to join us to talk about this player. Uh, also from Rinkwide, you know him there, and a contributor to TSN and the Athletic. He'll join us in a little bit to uh, to talk about this player. But yeah, get into it, quads. Nils Hoaglander has been signed by the Vancouver Canucks. Chris's boy, the guy he places on the third line in NHL franchise mode. Well, he's moved up. He's on the first line now with McDavid and Pedersen. So, <laughs> gave him. He I got the it. bump. Yeah, I traded Alex I Lafreniere for uh, Connor McDavid. One of my better moves ever. Oh man, so good. <laughs> but yes, the Canucks have signed Nils Hoaglander to an entry level deal. Hoaglander is not eligible to play this season if the season resumes. His contract kicks in on next season. So. That's basically the main thing that people were asking when this contract was signed. Like, oh, sh- can Hoaglander help with the playoff push? No, he can't. Um, he's going to be coming in next season. Uh, apparently, apparently, 
This is a little tea, and I think you'll have to get into this with Corey, because we were talking about, oh, he's going to be great in Utica next year, he'll come up. Apparently, Niels Hoaglander may not be as interested in playing in Utica as we thought. Uh, the, the article came out from Nux Misconduct this morning. I don't know if you've read it, uh, but he basically said he's going to return to Sweden and he's going to go play in Rogel if, uh, if he doesn't make the NHL. Yeah, so, I, heard, uh, I heard that on um, Sat's show uh, on Sportsnet when he was interviewed by them the day of the signing. He said that if he doesn't make the NHL team, uh, he would like to go back because he has the trust of his coaches. But he, he also said on this show, uh, he said it on this show when he did come on in December, that you know he doesn't mind playing a few games in the AHL. And I think that you know from taking that, the information that I've got, uh, maybe that includes you know the 10-game out clause, right? So maybe he does come over here try out to make the NHL team to get the 10 games in Utica. We might have a Petrus Palmy situation, but you know, it's, it's a very, it's a much higher level prospect. So I think they're going to care a little bit more about Huglander and we'll see like if Utica is not that bad for him, I, I would expect him to play a game in Utica next year. I don't think he's going to just not make the NHL and go straight back to Sweden. I think that the 10 game out clause that they have in that contract is there for a reason. And I think if he wants to see what he can do in the AHL, and then if it's, you know, he's not comfortable with the coaching staff, he's not comfortable with, you know, being a guy who doesn't really speak the greatest English. Like he gets, he gets by with his English, but it's not great yet. Um, and we, I'd just be interested to see, cause there's not a lot of Swedes also on the AHL team with the Utica Comets, right? But I, I think that he will play in Utica, but I don't know if it's going to be a full season. Yeah. No, I think you're right on that. Um, basically the quote came from the, uh, Rogel website, they, it was translated. So it says, uh, I'm obviously aiming to take a place in the NHL, but if it doesn't work out, I'll come back to Rogel. I'm sure yeah. I'm butchering that name. I don't know if we have any Swedish listeners, but uh, they can probably correct me on that one. But that's the big news. Nils Hoaglander, uh, the Canucks did lose out on signing a f- free agent from the Swedish Elite League named Matthias Brome, or Brome, I've heard it also pronounced. We really yeah. don't know. Um <laughs> But we are going to talk to J.D. Burke about him as well, what the Canucks are really losing out on, because I saw I saw some fans that were a little too emotional about uh, about this guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think you. it's a huge loss. I, I think he would have been, like yeah. I, I think I told you this when we were texting about it, like he would have been a fine winger for Niels Huglander there. And I think it's called Rugley, by the way. Rugley is how you pronounce the team. Someone like that. Someone will probably correct me as well. But like I said, like <laughs> he would have been a fine winger to play in Utica with Niels Huglander and maybe get a shot in the NHL at some point. But the fact that he went to Detroit made a hell of a lot of sense because he's going to play possibly top six minutes in Detroit. Detroit's yeah, exactly. a horrible team. Like, look exactly. at Detroit's record, man. Like, I don't know. You and I could like go out and try out next year and, and possibly have a chance of making the Red Wings. So, yeah, like, I don't. I think it's a huge loss for the Vancouver Canucks, um, but I also don't think it's a huge gain for the Detroit Red Wings. We'll see. We'll see this guy play out. Maybe he has a really great season, but, you know, like Anton Rodin was like the SHL MVP, came over here yeah. and couldn't crack the team. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. He's 26 years old, so he's got a little bit of a career in front of him anyways. Yep, we'll have to wait and see. But anyways, the next piece of news that somehow popped up. Actually, do you want to go to break? I don't know. It's been 24 minutes. Yeah, let's go to break. We'll go to break and we'll start. On the other side of the break, Chris and I will discuss the big million-dollar question of the week that somehow became the million-dollar question of the week. Tyler Myers, is he good? We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Now, here are some messages from our sponsors. And I just want to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation. That's right, folks. Parallel 49 Beer. 
They are out there on the streets, on the front lines, delivering beer straight to your doorstep. Uh, if you want some more information about the delivery service, they're doing it all through Vancouver, Surrey. They're going out to Abbotsford. They're doing a ton of deliveries, so you don't have to just be in East Van to get your Parallel 49 now. Uh, and I was just recently at the BC Liquor Store, and I had to pick up some Apricotopus um, uh, their newest beer. I hope I pronounced that right, but I probably didn't. But uh, the new beer that they come out with, it's an apricot sour. It was absolutely delicious. If you're into sour beers at all, I recommend checking them out. But if you want some more information on the delivery service or how to pronounce apricotopus, uh, check them out on Instagram at Parallel49Beer. They'll answer all of your DMs or there's some information for how to give them a call or email them. So go check out Parallel49Beer. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for sports cards and trading card games. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50. And now, join them for Thursday night breaks at 5 p.m. Pacific time every Thursday and be a part of an epic case break experience. Purchase your spot on ZephyrEpic.com and watch the live stream on twitch.tv slash Zephyr epic and for all you canucks conversation podcast listeners you can save five dollars off your purchase with the code canucks convo some restrictions apply follow them on social media to be part of monthly contests and ticket giveaways search z-e-p-h-y-r epic on instagram facebook and twitter fellas manscaped is here to make sure your balls are smooth while you or your partner are playing with them Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving your balls thanks to their lawnmower 3.0 with cutting-edge ceramic blades to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. You'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Yes, you heard that right get 20 percent off and free shipping with promo code canucks convo at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com with promo code canucks convo make playing with your balls the best part of your day thanks manscaped and a huge thank you to our sponsors we're going to get into the next topic here and that is as promised tyler myers is he good chris how did this become a topic I don't know. I just saw it trending in Canada. People are talking about Tyler Myers and arguing about him. Um, it's it's you know people are going a little crazy. You know people's got to start talking about random things like Tyler Myers. Is he good? Uh, and I don't know where I stand on Tyler Myers, man. Like he's fine. Like he's a fine player in the three four spot. I thought he was pretty good with Quinn Hughes this year, but like that's the thing about signing a right shot defenseman in free agency is like you you kind of are happy when it's like, oh, well, they didn't pay that much for him, right? Like, it's not like you're ever going to get a steal on a right-shot defenseman in free agency. So I get that, you know, the Tyler Myers isn't a great contract, but I get that at the same time, it's it's not it's not horrible. It's not the 7x7 seven seven that we heard about for a long time, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm scared at his, you know, 2022, 20, 23, 24 seasons. But at the same time, I'm not. We talked about this a little bit earlier, like, a tall guy like Tyler Myers probably has learned how to skate. I don't think he's going to lose that much foot speed when he gets to the age of 32, 33, 34. Like, he's big. You look at Zdeno Char, like, yeah, he's definitely lost his step. He's still effective, but he plays a very different game than Tyler Myers. I asked Tyler Myers at training camp what he thought the best part of his game was, and he said his skating. So that that's going to fall a little bit, but I think his breakout passes are pretty good. Like, he's... He's a liability in the defensive zone at times, but I think he's a guy that can help move the puck up ice, and the Canucks just haven't had that type of defenseman before Quinn Hughes came here, at least. So, you know, adding Tyler Myers and Quinn Hughes to the defense core definitely improved it a lot, but 
six million dollars, I'm worried about that when the guys like Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson come off of their ELCs because when those guys are getting paid what they deserve to be paid, six million dollars to Tyler Myers is going to be something that could hurt this team in the future. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, and you're not wrong, right? Like, man, he, this guy is a four five four five defenseman getting paid like a top four, and he is in the top four. So, I mean, man, it, it's tough because. You had to you had to give him the contract he got because you know he was going to get it somewhere. There were teams interested. Like this this notion that nobody else was interested in Tyler Myers has been refuted many times. Like there were teams that were bidding for Tyler Myers. He wasn't the only one. It wasn't just the Canucks bidding against themselves, as we've heard happens in the past. <laughs> this was a scenario where they had to get their guy. This was their guy for whatever reason. They really wanted Tyler Myers, and he played well this year. Like okay. Here's the thing. I say for whatever reason, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, because we know the reason. We watched the team last year. We watched them the year before that. The blue line was horrible, and they needed an upgrade. They got their upgrade in the form of Tyler Myers. Now, do they still need to be upgraded? Yes. The blue line is still not good enough for this team. Like, you know, we need to talk about this team in the sense of, okay, Petey's going to be entering his prime soon. Quinn is going to be entering his prime soon. You've got Besser, who's going to be entering his prime soon. Horvat, you cannot kind of mess around with these guys and not surround them with the talent to actually go for a cup. Because by the time you're ready to go for a cup, what if that's in four years? Because they can't get the blue line figured out by then. It has to happen soon. It's like, we had to be patient before. Canucks fans had to be patient before. 100%. 100%. They had to be patient when the rebuild was going on. The rebuild's over. Petey stopped the rebuild. When you have a player like him and you go acquire a JT Miller and you give up a first-round pick, you're telling everybody, you're telling the players in your locker room, hey, we're trying to be competitive. We are not rebuilding anymore. So now you're trying to be competitive. Okay, what are you competing for? You're competing for the Stanley Cup is what you're competing for. So now the Canucks have obviously not a good enough team to win the Cup this year. Well, maybe. Who knows? St. Louis Blues were pretty... You know, people were writing them off last year, but they came through. Anyways, I look at this team, and the problem I see, no no problems in net. You got Markstrom, Demko's a very, very solid backup, and he could be a starter within the next two years. You've got Markstrom, no problems in net. Okay, let's look at the forward group. No problems up there. Maybe you want to construct the bottom six a little better and have a better top nine. Sure, that makes sense. But when it comes to their top six, the Canucks if they re-sign Tyler Toffoli especially, have one of the best top six in the league. That's a top six that can win you a cup. They now need to address the blue line. Their blue line is below average when it comes to winning games. Like, the, the, the blue line just needs to be better. They're not, they're, it's not a strong suit of this team. I think it's the weakest point of this team, and I don't know if you agree with that, but I think it's something that needs to be addressed, and it, it was addressed last summer by going to get Tyler Myers, you know, we can debate whether or not they should have been going all in this year and that maybe they should have held off on Myers and gone for, say, a Tyson Berry this summer or a different defenseman this summer and see what they could have got. But instead, they went out and signed him. So that's up for debate for sure. But the Canucks blue line did get better when they signed Tyler Myers. All I'm saying, man, Tyler Myers is a, like, he's better than what the Canucks had the years before that. Like, Eric Branson was the guy that this pro scouting department and general manager targeted. 
I'm writing about it right now. I'm writing a Last Dance parody with the 2016-17 Canucks. It's something I'm working on right now. Patreon.com slash Canucks Convo. $1.69 gets you all the articles. But, good stuff. So, what I'm saying, Chris, when it comes to the Vancouver Blue Line, they have upgraded it significantly. Quinn Hughes is a massive upgrade on that Blue Line. Tyler Myers, literally and figuratively, is a massive upgrade. On yeah. that blue line from yeah. what it was the year before. If you look at like some of the analytics too with Quinn Hughes, he was Quinn Hughes's best partner this year. Like Quinn Hughes with him on the ice scored like at five on five with Tyler Myers. Their their goals four per sixty over four, which is incredible because Quinn Hughes away from Tyler Myers, his goals four per sixty was a two point six eight. Uh, so that's a huge difference. So obviously Tyler Myers helps Quinn Hughes, and you would think that maybe they on the defensive zone it would let them down. He actually has a lower goals against per sixty, a lower expected goals per sixty when he's with Tyler Myers. So I'm I'm almost surprised that we didn't see more of Quinn Hughes playing with Tyler Myers. We did see it late in games when you know the team needed a goal pretty bad and they'd be pushing pretty hard. But that might be the line that we wanted to see in the future, especially if Chris Tanev is to walk. Like the Canucks are going to have to make a decision with Troy Stetcher and Chris Tanev. And you know, if you want to look at your top four and you say, okay, is Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers the pairing that we have moving into the future when Alex Edler and Troy Stetcher is the other part of the top four? That that makes a little bit of sense for me. And then it's kind of like, where does Chris Tanev fit in the top? four or does he fit in the top six at all at the money he's going to demand so with Tyler Myers on his team he makes a huge impact you're right he's a different type of defenseman that they brought in in the past you know like we've always been worried about the pro scouting with you know Jim Benning's group they've brought in some some horrible uh, players from professional like with their pro scouts scouting for them whether it be Brandon Sutter Eric Branson you know lots of different guys Derek Puglia the list goes on but Tyler Myers, like like Thomas Drance has kind of said, like that's the thing. I think this all came from a Thomas Drance radio hit where he said he's fine. That's all he said. He's fine, <laughs> which is what everyone has been saying. Harmon, another guy from the Athletic, they've all just been saying he's fine. And then it looks like you know the the positive folk out there are saying you know like oh this is what you know we told you we told you he's so good he's so he's worth fine. it. It's like so dude. Good. Fine is just the same word as mediocre. It's the exact same word, pretty much. It's pretty much the exact same. Like maybe there's some different. Someone you can call me out for not knowing the difference between oh. those two words. But when I see fine and mediocre, those words mean the same to me. So yes, Dude. Tyler Myers is mediocre. That's all that he is on this team. He's a mediocre defenseman. But the way that he plays isn't mediocre, right? The way that he plays is you know trying to move the puck up ice and move it up. And I think. The way like Tyler Myers is built like a, a defenseman that you would love to have in the eighties or nineties, but that's not how he plays. He plays like a puck moving defenseman, and that's what the Canucks haven't had in the past. So when you bring in that type of player, it's the same thing that I want to see with like the bottom six. You know, like I want players that play like Tyler Myers' style instead of guys that play like Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter style, because if you're moving the puck up ice, you're getting out of your defensive zone. That's a defensive move if you're moving the puck out of your defensive zone, if you ask me. That's what Tyler Myers does. He might, you know, have a few meltdowns when he's in front of the net. Like, I think I tweeted out earlier this year, it took him three seconds to lean over and pick up his stick. Like, he's not great when the puck's in tight with his feet around the net. He could probably be a little bit tougher with that six foot eight size, but that's not going to happen. That's not the way he plays. He's, like he said, he's the thing that he brings to the game is moving the puck up ice, and, he has, and he's a pretty good skater. So his strengths are something that the Canucks team lacked, and they definitely lacked it with guys like Eric Branson that they had on their right side in the past. And, yeah, it's a step up for sure. But in the end, 
Tyler Myers is mediocre. He's not good. He's not bad. He's mediocre, but he fits nice on this team. And I think that's the way that it works out best for Tyler Myers with the Canucks. I think you're spot on with that analysis. Like, in my opinion, he fit well with this team. And, you know, a second pairing of Edler and Myers was what we saw. And Tanev and Hughes were the first pair. And you look at it and, okay, let's say Chris Tanev walks. By the way, Edler and Myers were great together. They were generating a lot of offensive opportunities. They were bleeding a little more than you would have liked to see, sure. But Still 50-50 at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, they didn't get scored on more than they scored. So that's exactly. that's fine. It, it's mediocre. It's freaking mediocre. <laughs> it's fair fine. Enough, fair enough. But here's what I'm saying, man. Chris Tanev walks in free agency. You have Troy Stetcher. He's your third-pairing guy. The most popular third-pairing defenseman in the entire National Hockey League. <laughs> All of a sudden, Tyler Myers is on your first pair. Are you okay with paying your first-pairing defenseman $6 million? Yeah, sure. I mean, you'd hope that your first-pairing defenseman is a higher quality than Tyler Myers, but if he clicks with Hughes, who cares? Like, at, there was a time when Anson Carter, a guy you wouldn't really want on your team most of the time, was playing on, like, the Canucks' top six, and he was doing really well with the Sedins. So maybe Quinn Hughes is the Sedins to Tyler Myers being the Anson Carter. Who knows, <laughs> man? Like, they played well together, and I mean, I, you know, like, I'm I'm a positive guy. You know that. Like, I sometimes I see it on Twitter, like, Myers isn't isn't this team's main problem. He's not. If you look at this defense core and say, oh, well, there's the problem right there, that big, that big tall defenseman that they have on the second pairing and sometimes third pairing, he's the big problem. No, he's not the problem. He's not the problem on this defense core. The no. defense core needs a little bit of a readjustment, sure. But Tyler Myers is not the issue. Like, man, defensemen who can actually move the puck up the ice, the Canucks haven't had that in a long time. Like... I think the closest we've got to that is Alex Edler over the past, like, five years. Yeah. Derek the, the, Pouliot, maybe? The only problem with Myers, though, is, like, he needs to be with a guy like Alex Edler or Quinn Hughes. Because you look at the numbers that he's with with other defensemen, with Jordy oh. Ben, with Oscar Fentenberg. Oh, it's it's Jeez. bad. Like, we're talking, like, the goals for percentage of, like, 27%, 37% with Ben and Fentenberg. Like, it's bad, right? But when he's with Quinn oh, Hughes yeah. or when he's with Alex Edler... You know, those guys play off of him. And I think the fit is the best thing about Tyler Myers is the fact that he fits with those type of players and he elevates their game, right? Quinn Hughes, you know, it's it's kind of tough to almost say that somebody elevates Quinn Hughes' game. But if Tyler Myers is putting up these type of numbers when he's playing with them, he's obviously elevating his game. Like, it's it's pretty much one of the only pairings on the Vancouver Canucks that had a positive goals for at 5-on-5. Five five. You know, like, yeah. even, even look at Quinn Hughes and Chris Tanev. They got scored on actually quite a bit, like quite a bit per game they would get scored on, that pairing together. And though you might say that Chris Tanev bails out Quinn Hughes a lot, and he probably does, right? Like there are certain situations where Chris Tanev just has a great stick in front of the net, and he definitely does. But, you know, when you're seeing these numbers and you see it on consistent and seeing it through a full season, it almost makes you think that, you know, it doesn't make sense to keep Chris Tanev because it would be nice to see a Tyler Myers and a Quinn Hughes play together in the future because that line clicks right you you talk about defensive pairings and how they they match up so well together that's that's all you really need from a defensive pairing like they just need to have good chemistry together and know who plays what at what time and where you're going to need to be in the defensive zone or the offensive zone and i like that pairing like i do like that pairing of hughes and myers and that's where i think the best fit is and that's where i think the best fit will be moving forward whether 
Tyler Myers is still playing with Quinn Hughes when he's 34 years old? That's going to be the question because how much does Tyler Myers' game drop off? Like I mentioned earlier, and you kind of agreed, I don't know if it drops off so much because he's six foot eight. The foot speed that he has right now isn't incredible, but he gets moving, right? And I think he's going to have that same foot speed in a few years, and it's still going to get him moving. I think he'll be lacking a little bit, and I'm worried about the $6 million just because of the rest of the salaries on this team, right? But then, you know, that that is a pretty far way down the road, and I think that a lot can change. So I'm not too, too worried, and like I, I've been saying this whole time, Tyler Myers is fine. He's not bad. He's not good. He's, he's just fine. Bust out the champagne. Tyler Myers is fine. Let's go, Positivity Crew. Who's with me? <laughs> yeah, there's My a lot goodness. with you. If you say anything negative, <laughs> yeah. you will get destroyed on Twitter right now. Um, but speaking of saying negative things, why don't we uh, bring on our guest here? <laughs> yes. Because he's not afraid now, to. Hell yeah. Elite prospects, rink-wide on TSN 1040. Mr. J.D. Burke is joining us now. All right, joining us now is J.D. Burke of Elite Prospects, TSN 1040. You can find him on there. Rink-wide Saturdays with Andrew Wadden. J.D., how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, the end of the world's going fine in my chunk of town. What about the, the two of you? How are you guys doing? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're hanging in there. We're not doing bad. Chris, how, how would you say we're doing? Uh, I felt like it was uh, it was a pretty fast week this week. Like, the only thing we look forward to now is recording on Fridays, and I felt like Friday came pretty fast this week, so, like, I'm kind of getting used to this whole quarantine thing. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of just, thing, like, yeah. March felt like it was an eternity, mm-hmm. and now I think we've all gotten used to end times, <laughs> and so the time is just passing so quickly. It's very fun. Yeah, April definitely went by, like, significantly faster than March did. That's for sure. Yeah. But, Jay, we got to talk about some hockey here, man. That's why we got you on here. So, we wanted to talk to you about, um, about Matthias Brome <laughs> and Niels Hoaglander. But we're first going to ask you about Tyler Myers, because that's what we just finished up talking about. I'm going to pose the question to you. Tyler Myers, is he good? Ooh, I mean, like... <laughs> Yeah, the answer, I suppose, is yes, like in an objective sense. I mean, like he's a top four defenseman, if if barely. And, you know, I I feel like it's, you know, context is king, right? Like if if Tyler Myers were getting paid one and a half million and and was struggling for ice time, I think we'd all be going, well, he's a good defenseman. Why isn't he playing? Right, but instead he's kind of landed on the opposite end of that spectrum, where he's paid as if he were a top pairing defenseman, and uh, you know probably playing far too many minutes in a role that he's not uh, perfectly suited to. Right, so I, I think that he, in an ideal scenario, was playing a second pairing role, playing in more of an offensively slanted position. And and he'd probably excel in that role. That said, he played pretty difficult minutes and came out relatively unscathed, I want to say, in his first year as a Canuck. Yeah. And I think if you can make it on a second pair in the NHL and not be a substantial liability, well, I, I think that objectively we'd have to agree that that's good. I mean, the, the question about his contract remains. Is the contract good? No, it's absolutely vile. Uh, and it was vile before they even put pen to paper. I mean, just the idea of it. You know, is is a cap is a cap nightmare unto itself. Uh, so thoroughly, uh, you know, bone curdling that Freddie himself induced it. But the the fact remains that in year one of that deal, he was fooled out. You. 
Yeah, I'm just I'm curious. Like you mentioned that if you put Tyler Myers in a situation where he is going downhill, he could be effective. Do you think that's more of him playing with a guy like Quinn Hughes who's also going downhill, or is it does he need to be with a guy who's playing more of a left shot, you know, defensive game and letting Tyler Myers kind of run free? Yeah, I think that it's just like we we've always had this idea that you pair defensive defensemen Y with offensive defensemen Z. And, of course, the yin and yang, it would be perfect balance. And it makes sense to us because it just, uh, mentally, we can process it that way, right? It's it's balance, you know, to be on our, our Thanos tip. But it's really never been that simple. And I don't think it's ever looked that simple uh, when the Canucks have had situations like that. Like, I look back at that 2010-11 team, and they had three, uh, you know, borderline first pairs or, you know, elite first pairs, right? And the question was, how do we create the perfect pairing? And it would always go down to, well, if we take this offensive defenseman and we put him with this defensive defenseman, why that's perfect balance and so harmonious, what could go wrong? And it just never really worked out to be the case. And, and I think that there's there are certain contextual factors that matter beyond whether you are a quote-unquote offensive or defensive defenseman. And, and I think that's that's worth taking into consideration. I mean, like, Tyler Myers' best uh, work this season, I thought, was when he was playing alongside uh, Alexander Edler. And, and I don't really even know what Alexander Edler is at this stage. Is he a two-way defenseman? Uh, you know, right? Like, where, where does he fit into any of these categories? And, you know, interestingly enough, it's not the player that I would assume would pair perfectly with Myers just because of the fact that there's so little foot speed on Edler's end. Uh, he's prone to, to mental gaffes and the occasional giveaway himself. You know, but it works. And and I think that that's kind of the, the interesting factor there. So it, it just comes down to tinkering with what you've got and waiting for that moment when you catch lightning in a, in a bottle. We had a pretty good discussion with Tyler Myers right before this, so thank you for adding to that. But we will talk about some prospects here. And the first one, they did get Niels Hoaglander signed, so we'll talk about him soon. But Matthias Brom, that's a prospect that the Canucks lost out on. They were trying to sign him, and he decided to go with Detroit. What, what are Canucks fans really losing? What are the Canucks not getting out of this Matthias Brom? Yeah, I mean, like, the, the, the cruel pedant in me doesn't really know if, if calling him a prospect is the most appropriate uh, you know billing just because I mean we're talking about somebody who's going to be 26 in time for puck drop on next season or this one if they still want to be in denial and pretend that they can get it going again but that's neither here nor there um, you know 26 at that point you are what you are right yeah. um, that, that said you know having seen him a tiny bit having read a lot of Christopher Hedlund's work on elite prospect he put out like a absolute fire mixtape on Matias Brown. Um, I, I, he's a really fast player. He brings a lot of peskiness on the puck after the whistle. He's a real shift disturber, if you will. Keep it PG. You know, it's it's, it's a bummer. I, I think that he's somebody who feasibly could have been an upgrade on perhaps Tyler Mottites. A tight, not tights. Uh, something to that effect, right? So, and, and I'm sure a lot of Canucks fans were excited about the prospect of somebody who could replace Tyler Mott in the bottom six. And I really do think that, that Matisse Brom had the chance to be that guy. And he's got, 
you know, he's got some decent hands. He can maneuver at speed. And, and these are things that we want to see more of in the modern six, right? We want to see a transition to a more modern group, right? Uh, the complexion of that bottom six changing is, is paramount from this group taking that next step and becoming a, a, a robust contender, right? And, and, you know, we can talk about the fact that a lot of European free agents don't pan out, and there's absolutely truth to that. We can talk about the fact that, you know, Matias Brown, if he did work out for the Canucks, might have added you know, 30 points in best case scenario over a season. And that's not exactly going to push the needle a, a ton, but I think that the, the current, um, the current iteration of the Canucks bottom six is so far from even being replacement level mm. that the thought of getting somebody who would be good relative to that role just completely changes the shape of this lineup. And, and that's what they need to do. They need to find people who they can sign to entry level deals like Matias Brown. To, to play play along the margins, play for cheap, and, and kind of take advantage of their first few years in the league where you can get these players for really affordable contracts, right? Uh, you know, with the Boston Bruins and with Soderbergh is such a good example of that, or the, the first few years of Yuri Laterra in, in St. Louis. You know, you want to get these players, you want to be the first one on them because you get a finished product, and a finished product that's already on an entry-level contract. And I think that's... It's definitely unfortunate that the Canucks missed out on him, but I mean, like, there's still some really big names in college free agency. Um, not that I want to write about any more of them, truthfully, but <laughs> there, there abs- yeah, there absolutely are some players in the NCAA ranks that I think they could look towards. You know, Josh Dunn hasn't signed out of Clarkson, and that's a really interesting bet. You know, a lot of the scouts I spoke to said that he was the best forward or one of the best going into this process. You can look at somebody like Johnny Walker out of Arizona. I mean, like, there's some really good pieces still available there. And the interesting question for me is if they shift gears and look to that direction, or maybe they go to Russia. I mean, there's there's some interesting talent there. I think the interesting thing will be to see how the Canucks respond, and hopefully they can find somebody else to, to place that sort of bet on, because Lord knows they need the help in their bottom six. Yeah, and you talk about kind of changing the mentality of that bottom six a bit. <laughs> I gotta ask because we just mentioned him. Does Niels Huglander stand a chance of doing that this year? No, no, no. He does. He doesn't. I, I like that would be that would be awesome. And and you know the the case always remains when I make these qualifiers. Like I would be ecstatic to be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like Niels Huglander comes in. He has the best camp possible. He makes the lineup. This is the best case scenario. I want I want to see take place. Now, the reality of the situation is a lot more complex than that. He's, he's still not even 20 years old. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like he had an Elias Pettersson type year in the SHL. I mean, he was productive, and, and when you contextualize his production with his age, it looks all the better, right? But it's it's not like he's really kicked that door now. I, I think that he's not far off, you know? Like, would it surprise me if not next season, but the one after he's on the scene, like... No, no, it wouldn't at all. Would it surprise me if he gets some looks late in the year as injuries arise? Not necessarily, but I just don't see a player who's ready to take that step this quickly. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a few people listening to your podcast, a couple of the more mouth-breathing types, who are going to hear that and say that I'm being negative again. Because <laughs> this is the reality with prospects, right? Like, they take a while to develop in some cases, and... 
and, and suggesting that prudence might be the best course of action isn't, isn't me giving, you know, damning the Hoglander pick, damning him as a prospect. I think the world of my head are ranked 20 spots higher than the Canucks got him in the yeah. draft, right? So, so clearly, I think very highly of the kid. I just think that the best case scenario for everyone involved is that they take their time, they let him develop at his own pace, and they integrate him into that lineup when he's ready and not a moment sooner. Well, the other Do you thing... think... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Quan. Sorry, I'm going to ask him this. Do you think the SHL or Utica is the best place for him to develop? Uh, that's a, that's an interesting question. I mean, <laughs> having seen how much success the Utica Comets have had with European drafted prospects, <laughs> yeah, we the, obvious an- <laughs> the obvious answer is Utica, right, guys? Yes, I sir. mean, yeah, it's it's complex. I mean, like under normal circumstances, I never really want to see a player uh, that that is high high pick or whatever go to the AHL. It's not usually the best spot for development. There's a lot of people in in that league, coaches, for example, trying to get an NHL gig, and and that means playing like Carter Banks or whatever ahead of of these types of players and saying that they're doing it the hashtag right way. Right. You know whether that is the right way or not. I'm just a humble guy who covers the game. Please, <laughs> the- but. Uh, you know, it's not like he didn't face some of those issues this year in Roglo playing third in the lineup. I mean, the thing is, though, like next year I'd anticipate if he'd stayed in Sweden or if he goes back, like he's going to have a pretty sizable role to play. Right. Uh, you know, like he, he really kind of um, earned the trust of the, the coaching staff and, and the players on that team. And him and Dominic Bach, the uh, St. Louis Blues first rounder traded to Carolina, they really seem to have some nice chemistry together. Like I, I think that there's a really good case for why he should have stayed in the SHL, but you never know. I mean, uh, Lucas Jasic wasn't uh, turned asunder once he went to Utica, and you know, of course, Zach McEwen's a big success story there. So they aren't without their hits, and and perhaps Nils Hoglander can be their first one from overseas. Yeah, the the final thing I wanted to ask you about Huglander was, you know, I, I saw it in EP rink wide. You guys talked about that he might have the best hands in the draft. Is that the number one thing you see from his game, or is it something different about Huglander? I think it's just his overall creativity. I mean, like, yes, he does have the best hands in the draft, right? Uh, you know, the way that, that Hoglander can maneuver with the puck in tight, I mean, it's it's every bit as masterful and artful as the quadfather over here when he's slicing <laughs> up a nice piece of pork belly making some porchetta, you know? But... Uh, I, I think it's just an overall sense of, of creativity, you know, and, and some of the stuff that he attempts is so brave. And and like I think back to the spinning uh, lacrosse attempt from the slot, I think it was the four nations. I always mix up the four and five nations, but it was one of the nations. And, and just thinking to myself, who tries that at speed in the middle of the ice where a lot of players are going to get, you know, they're going to get laid down for the trouble, right? <laughs> and and the answer is Niels Hoglander. Yeah. Niels Hoglander tries that. And and he almost scored on it, too. And he's just a really kind of cerebral player. He knows how to get to the soft parts of the ice. He's very elusive below the goal line. He, he really does play the game in such a way that, that you can easily translate it to the NHL. And I think that's one of the things with, like, I think back to somebody... Like a hundred and character. I think that 
a lot of people use him as the butt end of a joke, but I, I do believe that between the injury and, yes, I would tend to say some pretty spotty development by the NHL franchise, yeah. you know, it wasn't all his fault. But the, the one argument that had some merit to it was he didn't play in the tough-to-get-to areas. He didn't go to the soft parts of the offensive zone. And it was going to be hard for him to score at the NHL level unless he got to those parts of the ice. And the thing that I like about Hoaglander is that he already plays there. Right. And and my favorite part about Hoaglander, I actually tweeted this and then I deleted it because I thought it might read kind of weird. But now I get to control the tone and I'm happy to say it is, you know, like you watch a movie and, and there's the new guy, he goes to a prison and he's got the mentality like, oh, I got to fight the biggest guy here just so they know not to, to mess with me. You know, you know, like that's that's in those Homelander, and and a lot of people talk about the the spinning elbow from last year. Hell, I, I spoke to him over the phone about that, and he laughed. You know, that's that's just kind of funny to me. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's evil, but as long as that evil is on your team, you're happy. And I, I know the Clawfather's got another job lined up for him after hockey too. <laughs> now, right hand man. Yeah, exactly. Right elbow man. Same height. So. In the Alsvenskin, he did the same thing. His first game in the Alsvenskin, I believe, like it was one of his first, he just elbowed somebody in the Beret de Churla style. And he did that last year in the SHL, too. Like, he's not going to be messed with. Like, take him for granted because of his size at your own peril. I mean, it's your CTE, right? Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of transferable skills for him to the NHL level. And I like the way that he goes about producing his offense. It all bodes well for a very long, very productive career. The type of thing that the Canucks could not refuse in the second round. You know what I mean? <laughs> JD, thank you for doing this, buddy. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. And a big shout-out to J.D. Burke from Elite Prospects and TSN 1040 for joining us there to chat a bunch about Huglander and some other situations going on with the Vancouver Canucks. He even got in a little bit of Tyler Myers talk as well. But without further ado, folks, it's time for our recurring segment now. It's time for Riding the Bus with Corey Hergott. McEwen into the goal and he scores! What a play by Zach McEwen who draws the Comets to within one. A little shimmy shake. Guys, joining us now, it's time for the Riding the Bus segment. We got Comets Corey on the line. Corey Hergott, how you doing there, Corey? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, enjoying the Friday so far. I was mentioning the quads uh, earlier on in the episode. It felt like this week went by a little bit faster than some of the ones in the past during quarantine. Did you feel the same or no? 
Actually, this week did kind of go by fairly quickly. I've been working on a few projects around the house here and uh, trying to get a couple of articles uh, finished up. So uh, parts three and four of my article took uh, the bulk of my week here. So, um, yeah, it went by fairly quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of, part three dropped today on Friday. Uh, Came out a lot of good stuff. Or sorry, Thursday came out, didn't it? Yeah, yesterday. Yeah, Thursday, okay. Well, nobody needs to know. I'll just say it on the podcast. <laughs> nobody knows the date anyways. Um, but uh, there was a lot of good stuff in there. You covered a lot of the defenders, and you talked about the goaltending situation. And I wanted to start right there uh, with the goalies because, I, you know, with the situation going on with, with Mikey DiPietro, like a lot of people thought, you know, coming in as a young goaltender is going to be a really tough move for him at this level. And, you know, it, it probably was, but you know that he's one of the hardest workers on this team. And did he shock you more than you were kind of expecting when you heard that another young goaltender was coming in? Because I don't think he had the backstory coming into professional leagues similar to with Thatcher Demko, who went and, you know, played his hockey in America, ended up developing in the NCAA. That's a very different route than coming out of the OHL. So were you surprised by Mikey DiPietro quite a bit this year? I was. Um, and, you know, that's a big thing that there is a big, big difference between, like you said, Thatcher coming in and Mikey coming in. Uh, Thatcher was a little bit older, more mature when he came in. And, and that's why I kind of looked at Dem- or at, sorry, at Di Pietro coming in as a young goaltender, uh, you know, very young, really, for the American League uh, and coming in and I kind of figured he'd have to spend some time in the ECHL. I, I wrote that yeah. for Canucks Army in the off season that I thought maybe they'd uh, kind of want to play the skates off of him down there and maybe have Jake Kiley backing up Zane McIntyre at the AHL level. Um, but, you know, DiPietro came into camp and, and showed really well in, in Vancouver and worked really hard. And uh, when he got down to Utica, I mean, there was no way he was going to the ECHL. He just... Uh, <laughs> Every time he got an opportunity to play, he he showed well. He played well, and I mean, when the team goes eight and zero in in the first month of the season, uh, things are going well. So you know, he got off to a good start, and he was able to keep that momentum going. Absolutely, and you know, it it's it's easy for us to make the comparisons between a Thatcher Demko and a Mikey DiPietro because it came in at a relatively close to similar age. I think Demko was, I think he was 22 or 21 or 20, yeah, I think he was 22 when he took over as the starting role. Uh, you know, DiPietro does a little bit younger at the age of 20, 21 in that same year. But what I wanted to ask was, like, this comparison that a lot of people want to make between these two goaltenders, it's not really the same because their play style is so different, right? Yeah, uh, Thatcher Demko is very much uh, like a student of the game. He, he's very uh, technical. Um, he's a guy that will uh, will sometimes uh, kind of act to force the shooter rather than wait, 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 and then react and have to make a sprawling save. Um, that's kind of the way I see uh, Thatcher playing. Uh, he's a little bit more of a technical goaltender. Um he can kind of sprawl if he has to, but that's certainly not his his strength. Whereas uh, Di Pietro's been a bit more of a reactionary kind of a goaltender. He's got the reflexes to do it. Um, that being said, he's really kind of kind of tamed that down and dialed it back a little bit. He's he's become more of a uh, you know not not so reactionary he's becoming more of a of a goaltender who will uh kind of force the shooter to make his move now and, and uh, he's tracking pucks a lot better because he's not kind of throwing his body around like he used to right. uh they do play different styles they're wildly different um 
you know, size wise, Demko is like a six four, six three, six four kind of guy, I believe, and and uh, we know Mikey's uh, six feet tall, so um, that does kind of force you to play a somewhat different game. Um, you know, you have to challenge shooters a little bit more when you're a little bit smaller of a goaltender, and I still think it's crazy to call somebody <laughs> that's six feet. Uh, small, but uh, here we are in, in this day and age of the of NHL goaltenders all being you know six four. Yeah, and that's the thing with Mikey DiPietro. It seems like people, you know, you almost have to bet on him at this point, right? Like, is he athletic enough to be an NHL goaltender at six foot tall? Because that's just that just happens to be the way the NHL is moving, right? I mean, we saw small goaltenders that were you know five nine, five ten that were extremely athletic and had a ton of great careers in the NHL in the 90s and the early 2000s. But we haven't really seen that new group of players, because obviously players are getting bigger and stronger and faster. We hear that every year. I'm wondering if that's what we're going to start seeing with the next group of really athletic goaltenders. Like, are they going to be six foot tall and extremely athletic like Mikey DiPietro? Because he could be the kind of guy that, you know, is leading the pack towards into the future of this six foot tall, extremely athletic goalie. Yeah, and here here's the thing that I always come back to when, when we – you can look at historically, this is the way things are, or this is the way things were, and you can look at the average around the league. Uh, you know, sure, there, there are lots of bigger goaltenders, uh, but you know what? We used to say guys like Quinn Hughes wouldn't be playing in, in the NHL either because he was too small. Well, mm. tell him that, right? Yeah. Tell Quinn Hughes he can't play in the NHL, and he'll tell you different. And I, I see kind of Mikey DiPietro being the same sort of a guy. Uh, he's He fits that profile of the player that the Canucks have been targeting or seem to have been targeting uh, in the last handful of years, where you've got players that uh, they do have a high skill level, but they back it up with an incredibly uh, strong work ethic. And I think that that's going to be what helps this organization take the next step forward, is having... You know, it's great if you have skilled players like a, like a Jonathan Dolan or a Nikolai Goldobin. But if you've got skilled players like that who actually, uh, you know, they're they just take that extra step, they work that extra little bit harder. They're just that much more dedicated. Uh, you know, that's that's those are the players that kick the door down. And uh, I can see Mikey D. Pietro being that kind of a player. Yeah, I think from the attitude that we've heard from him, it's. It's actually similar to what I've heard, you know, from interviews and having a chance to interview myself is a guy like Jet Wu. I mean, he seems like he knows what he has to do and the type of game that he has to play to be an efficient NHL player. I think that, you know, he knows what he has to do. He has to be a physical guy who's going to play on that right side. He's not going to be the guy putting up a ton of points. But I'm wondering, how do you think his game's going to translate to the AHL level? Because, you know, you can be a tough right shot defenseman in the OHL at his size. But is it going to be a tough transition for him getting into professional hockey? Well, that's uh, good timing on that because uh, this is fresh in my brain from writing about Jet Wu today uh, for part four of my article. And uh, in there, I, I talk about the fact that Wu has been, aside from his draft year, he's been a fairly durable player uh, at the C eight or sorry at the WHL level, and uh, that's gonna and playing a you know a fairly robust physical game, and and that's he's going to have to figure out a way to uh, keep playing that physical game and uh, be able to do it against larger men at a, at a faster pace uh, and stay durable and stay healthy. And, and that's going to be probably the biggest challenge for him at the start is to be able to keep playing that, that style of game and staying healthy. He's, uh, you know, he's six one, I think uh, around 205 pounds. So, 
you know, he's not uh, not a huge guy, but he's uh, you know he's got a pretty solid uh, pretty solid body there to back up if back it up if he has to get into the corners with uh, with bigger men. Yeah, and I think that you know having players like you know Colin's a perfect example comes in his rookie year isn't really that confident in his physicality, but we see year two he's getting involved. We saw him take that massive hit this year and get up from that, and even Jonah Gadovich, another guy who's come right out of the CHL. Jumped into the AHL and maybe not had the best physical, like the best physical first year in the AHL. I wonder if those guys can, you know, be some two players that are good examples that can help a guy like a Carson Folk or a guy like Jet Wu and just say like, hey, like we saw what you did at that level. We were doing similar things. You can do it at this level. You just need the confidence to do it. Well, see, and here's where I think uh, this is what one of the things I wrote about today is uh, uh, in that article when I met when I did my bit on Wu. If he ends up uh, playing the right side there in Utica, which I'm sure he's going to be, um, he's very likely going to be paired with one of Guillaume Brisebois or Ashton Sautner. And that's going to give him a very steady, reliable partner on his left side. Uh, and if that steady, reliable partner happens to be Ashton Sautner, which is kind of what I would hope for for, for Jet Wu, I think that's a good fit because Sautner skates really well. Sautner can move the puck really well, but Sautner also can play that physical, abrasive game. And I think that's something that'll help Wu out if he's out there with him and kind of, you know, following the play and seeing what's going on there, following Sautner's uh, lead by example. And, and I think, I think that would go a long way for me. And I think that would open up, uh, Guillaume Brisebois to pair with, uh, with maybe with, uh, with Mitch Elliott or, uh, Oh geez, I just I just dropped the ball there. Jalen Chatfield would be the other one, but right. I think Mitch Mitch Elliott and, and Guillaume Brisebois could pair well together. That's good. Uh, I, I wanted to ask a little bit about Mitch Elliott because he's he's one of the more interesting players I think from watching the AHL. He wasn't really there the whole year; had his time in the ECHL, but it seemed like he was you know very very effective in the offensive zone with Mitch Elliott. He might not be the biggest guy, but you know he's young and he gets shots on net. And it seemed like he got some time on the second power play unit when some injuries came. Like what? What do you think Comets fans should expect from Mitch Elliott next year on this team? Because he might have a bigger role with a guy like Brogan Rafferty possibly moving up. Yeah, and that's what I see. I, I kind of see uh, Rafferty if he's not if he doesn't make the team out of camp, he, he won't have a long stay in Utica this year. Yeah. So that's that's going to give players like Jet Wu and players like uh, oh man, I just <laughs> my brain I just dropped it again. <laughs> Chatfield. Uh, thank, no, not Chatfield. Who oh, are we sorry. just talking about? Uh, Mitch Elliott. Mel- Elliot, sorry, thank you. Uh, that'll give those two players more opportunity there. And uh, Elliot only got into I think twenty-seven games, but he ended up with I think five points and and two of it. He had two goals. They were both power play goals. Yeah. Uh, Elliot's got a, a really he he gets his shot through from the point. They're they aren't always big clappers. They're often uh, wrist shots that he can just, he can get them through, and that's going to create offensive opportunities for himself and and for his line mates out there. And he can also play that uh, that physical game. He's like you said, he's not a big guy, and he doesn't blow guys up out there. But he does a really effective job of pinching guys off along the boards in his own end. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's something where we're going to see the Comets back end have a little bit of a different look this year. You know, uh, Jalen Chatfield plays an abrasive game. Uh, Ashton Sautner plays an abrasive game. Uh, Jack Wu, if he shows up and plays an abrasive game uh, like he can, then that that's all the more on that side of things. And then you've got, uh, you know, Stefan LeBlanc that can do the same sort of thing when he's playing. So I think there's going to be a little bit more uh, abrasiveness, 
back there uh, to kind of go along with the skill this year. Right. We'll see if LeBlanc, he played enough forward this year. Maybe he just wants to stay up there. It's a little bit easier job, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's his his uh, lot in life going forward here with the Comets is just going to kind of be that swing man that gets, you know, yeah. if somebody's injured on the back end, he'll go in. If somebody's injured up front, he'll go in. And I think that's just kind of going to be the way things go for him. Right. But, uh, you know, between Elliott and Wu and Sautner and Chatfield, they've got some guys back there now that can uh, play the body a little bit and get aggressive when they need to be, and, and I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. The the final thing I wanted to ask you about, final player I wanted to ask you about, uh, he signed at the same time as Brogan Rafferty, obviously didn't have the rookie season that he probably would have liked, similar to what Rafferty had. Uh, but Josh Tevez, I'm wondering what kind of role do you think he plays in Utica next year? Because he's... You know, they have guys like Breeze Bois. They have guys like Yo Levy that's going to be there. Obviously, you know, looking at some of that left shot, that left side there with Sautner returning, that's a guy that's going to be one of the top pairing guys in your AHL. Like, where does Tevez kind of round out that group? Because I don't really see him being the first, second, or third option at lefty. Yeah, and then this is part of what I've been writing about is there are some tough decisions that are going to have to be made, and part of that might that might play into that might be, uh, you know, where – uh, Ashton Sautner is now a veteran ex- exempt player and, and that's going to play into whether or not he can play any given night and uh, I mean I'm all for keeping Ashton Sautner around so I'm not suggesting that they move away from him but you're going to have a left side there with Levy, with Sautner, with Tevez and uh, Brisebois as all available players uh, Brisebois and Sautner have both played the right side and played it effectively but you know, you've got Chatfield, you've got Wu, you've got Elliot over there. So, yeah, there's not a lot of space for uh, for a guy like Josh Tevez. And the thing that we have to also remember is he signed the same deal that, that Rafferty did. His deal this year is a one-way deal. He's getting paid NHL money, and uh, he's not going to be playing in the NHL. I don't, I, I don't see him playing there. Yeah. I, think there are, I think there are other guys ahead of him. So uh, I think this year is going to be a big year for Josh Tevez to either, uh, you know, make a case to earn another deal or or he'll be the guy that, uh, you know, made really good money in the American League for a season and and, uh, went went back to, uh, to you know, an American Hockey League deal possibly or a two-way deal. I I like a lot of what I saw from Tevez last year in his limited minutes. He's... uh, He's got some good offensive instincts in terms of getting the puck out of his own end and, and when to pinch in. He, he made some really, really smart pinches offensively this year, but then when he kind of gets into the offensive zone, the, the wheels come off the wagon, and it's it's like he's not quite sure what yeah. to do next. And that's the area of the game where I, mean, I think it's a game that he can certainly improve on. Uh, it's just whether or not he, he can do it this year, whether or not the opportunity will be there. Uh, you know, it's it's entirely possible that Olio Levy shows up fit and healthy and ready to go, and maybe he kicks the door down out of camp and earns right. a spot. So it's good to have a guy like Tevez there. Uh, I think this is just going to be a really big year for him to, uh, you know, he's going to have to be able to take a, a, a spot on one of the special teams to to kind of, you know, stake his claim on a roster spot. I think that's really going to play a big part of it. Olio Levy, we know he, he's been a minute eater on the power play and on the penalty kill. Uh, Ashton Sautner is a minute eater on the penalty kill. Guillaume Brisebois, ditto. So that doesn't leave a lot of left side opportunities for him there. So, uh, you know, he's going to have to maybe show that he can be a power play guy. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to see in the future. But, yeah, it's it's going to be hard to pass those guys for sure. I mean, there's a, a lot of very talented guys in the offensive zone especially. But so it's, it's, it's a tough hill 
for Tevez to climb, but we'll see what happens next year. Uh, thanks a lot for doing this, Corey. Another uh, extended Riding the Bus show this week, so I appreciate you coming out. And speaking of extended, uh, you've had to extend your series a little bit. I think you've extended it twice now because it was going to be a one-part, then a two-part, now a three-part, and then a four-part. So uh, part four is coming up soon on the Patreon for you guys to check out. Uh, then you got a very exciting story, which we talked about last week, coming up as well later in the week. So lots of great stuff coming from you, and we appreciate all the work you've been doing for uh, the Patreon. Oh yeah, I'm loving it. I'm I'm really enjoying uh, writing these articles, and uh, yeah, I do certainly get wordy with these extended conversations <laughs> and my extended articles. But uh, I guess that's just how I roll. Uh, yeah, and I apologize for the brain cramps today uh, when I couldn't remember, you know, Jet Wu's name and and Mitch Elliott's name there for a second or two. So uh, we'll do- we'll clean that up for next week. Next week, okay, sounds good. I love how you finished uh, part three as well. Uh, you know, you approach 4,000 words. You're like, you know, I'm going to have to stop right here. <laughs> I like the way you finish that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I, once I start getting up to around 4,000 words and I know I've got a couple thousand more to go, I think it's time, <laughs> I think it's time to break it off and, and uh, make another, uh, another uh, article out of the series. Absolutely. Well, thanks for doing this, Corey. We'll chat again next week, man. Thanks again, dude. Talk to you later. And a huge thank you to Corey Hergott for joining us for Riding the Bus. Chris, that was a good conversation you guys had. You talked to Jet Wu, who's been on the show. People can go check out that conversation we had with him. Uh, it's on the Patreon. you got to be in the 5 or $10 tier to get that conversation and many others. We had a couple with Al Murdoch's on there. Nils Hoaglander's on there, I think. We have so many people on that uh, on that Patreon. It's a great thing we're doing there. And we have the nice articles tier, too. And one player that I wrote about recently, not on the Patreon, but my last article for Vancouver is Awesome, was about Josh Levo. And he's a player on an expiring deal that you and I kind of wanted to talk about before we wrap up the show here. We're going to talk about a different player each week uh, that's on an expiring deal. But we thought we'd start it off with Josh Levo. And, you know, I'll let it be known, I'm a Josh Levo truther. And I wasn't yeah. before. I wasn't. Like, at the start of this year, he was what you thought Tanner Pearson was is what I thought Josh Levo was. I was like, there's no need for this guy to be on this team. But, man, I look at it now, and I say, wow, like, he's healthy right now. You you know that, right? Like, he's healthy right now. Michael Furland is apparently healthy right now. Like, dude, if the Canucks come back to play, like, man, they are going to have their full squad. Like, Chris Tanev's healthy. Jacob Markstrom's healthy. Like, I think this would be the first time in a long time and right before a playoff push that the Canucks would be completely healthy. And, like, I wonder what it looks like now. Like, man, like, let's just talk about some lines here, I guess. Because Josh Levo, like, I I think he needs to have a spot in the lineup. And I think he's going to push out a Tyler Mott. But I don't know if you remember this. Before the season wrapped up, Tyler Mott was buzzing. Like, he means so much to that penalty kill. And he keeps the puck out of their end for a lot of the penalty kill. And yeah. I just, I don't know how you justify taking out Tyler Mott. So so then who do you take out? You're not going to take out Miller. You're not going to take out Besser. You're not going to take out Tanner Pearson. You're not going to take out Antoine Roussel. Or maybe you are. Like, is that the guy that goes out as Antoine Roussel? Because, you know, like, we know he didn't play as well as he did in the first year of his contract. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Levo is playing higher up in the lineup than Brock Besser would. I think, Whoa, you know, if they, if, if they would have kept Tyler Toffoli playing with Miller and Pedersen, I think that Josh Levo fits that line of Horvat and Pearson better than Brock Besser does. And I think that line would get more ice time than Brock Besser being dropped down to the third line again. 
You know, I, I don't think it's the best move, but I would not be surprised if that's what we would have seen. You know, I've been saying it for a long time. I really think the line should have gone in the top six. It should have been Miller, Petey, and Besser. And I think the second line should have been Pearson, Horvat, and Toffoli. We just didn't get an opportunity to see a lot of that. And if that was the top six, I think that Levo slides down to that third line. And maybe he's effective with Adam Gaudet and a Jake Vertanen on the left side. You know, like that's an intriguing lineup. Josh Levo, let's not forget, he can play both sides, right? He can play left and right side. So if he's playing on that third line with Jake Vertanen and Adam Gaudet, that brings a lot to that third line. It brings the type of guy that Antoine Roussel can be at times, but I feel like you get that all the time out of Josh Levo when he's playing in that role. Yeah, you're totally right. And in my deep dive on Levo and what he brings, I looked at it like, dude, Levo doesn't make mistakes with the puck. Like, Mm -hmm. getting out of his own zone, I would argue that there's nobody that's better at it and has better board work on the entire Vancouver Canucks than Josh Levo. I would say that he's the best along the boards. I'd say he's better than anybody. Like, And if if I'm pulling a comparable, right, and let's talk about the power play. There's a guy on the power play digging out pucks and going to get pucks after the Canucks have a shot attempt and making sure that the opponent can't clear it out. It reminds me of a Ryan Kessler. Ryan Kessler used to just run into the corners, dish pucks out to the Sedins, and they used to practice this. Newell Brown used to have them have pucks just go in the corner and have Kessler get on them quick and like blindly turn around and pass it and know where the Sedins are. Like this was something yeah. they practiced, okay? And for Josh Levo to be performing on a similar level to that, I'm saying He's somebody that I'd, I'd love to have on a second power play unit that all of a sudden becomes much more effective than it was, say, a year ago. And the Canucks' second power play unit has been much better for them this year. They've actually been able to go to them if they need to, whereas in years past it was load up your first unit, second unit's just there if the first unit really messes up and the coach is mad at them. That's what the second unit was for. But now things are a little different, and I like having Josh Lebo on that second unit, and I like having Josh Lebo on the third line. I just wonder, like, so does Sutter sit in a playoff series? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the fourth line, what are you getting? You're getting Tyler Mott as your option. So, I mean, we're going to say the third line would be Jake Vertanen, it would be Josh Lebo, and it would be Adam Gaudet. You're the fourth line, you, your four players are Tyler Mott, Jay Beagle, Brandon Sutter, and Antoine Roussel. Like, I, I don't think they're taking out you know, I think they're taking out Tyler Mott, to be honest. I, I wouldn't. I would rather Brandon Sutter be out. Um, I think that the fourth line of Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, and and uh, Tyler Mott, I think that's a great fourth line, which is crazy to think of they're healthy. Like, if Furlan was healthy and you throw him into the mix too, like, damn, I don't, I don't think he is healthy and I don't think he should come back. But if you were to throw him into the mix, like, I, I wanted Levo before they went out and traded for Toffoli and we kind of heard that, you know, Levo was going to be back around back like in just in time for the playoffs. Like he was going to be there for the playoff run. That made a lot of sense as the guy who was going to round out Bo Horvat's line. And that's the reason that I would like to see him play there. And that's why I think we probably would have seen, you know, Brock Besser drop down because I don't think that, you know, the fact that Travis Green's gone to that in the past and he like Travis Green is the biggest Josh Levo fan, right? Like we know that, like, he, he played Josh Levo with Elias Patterson a lot when, when Levo got here. And that's that's why I didn't really like Josh Levo at the start. He was taking Goldie's spot for a long time there. He was the guy <laughs> that pushed Goldovin off of the Patterson line. Uh, but obviously, he's he's won over a lot of Canucks fans. He's come in and been able to be a guy that, you know, in the mix for a top nine. He's not a for sure top six guy, I don't think. But the way that that Horvat line works, he's the perfect player to play on that line. Which would you know bring up a, 
a crazy situation for that third line because the third line is going to get one of the easiest matchups in the game, right? You know, that line of Adam Gaudet, Brock Besser, or Jake Vertanen, if that's what you're going to roll with, they're going to be going up against some of the worst forwards on the other team. You know, not the fourth line, but maybe the third line that the other matching up against. There's going to be a lot of goals coming, and that's when I think Jake Vertanen plays his best game is when it's a wide-open game. So... Josh Levo brings a lot to the lineup just because of the versatility that he can do. He can play both wings. You mentioned he can be a guy that can kill penalties. He can be on the power play. He brings something to the second unit that you don't get from Antoine Roussel. I think he brings a little bit of a better shot with Josh Levo on that second unit. He makes a huge impact. Um, and he is the first guy that we're talking about that's contract is up at the end of the year. And and I'm with you. I'm a Levo truth, truther at this point. Like I, I want to see Josh Levo in the blue and green in the future. And I think that he knows that Vancouver has given him an opportunity to be an NHL player. And I, I do think that he'll be back next year. I think so too. I think there's a chance, man. And like I say, when I look for a comparable to his game, and I know I just compared him to Ryan Kessler, but get ready for this one. I, I refer to him as a poor man's Tyler Toffoli. Like he brings a lot of the same things that Toffoli does. He's got a good shot. He's good at both ends of the ice. He can play up and down your lineup. He's a scoring threat. Like, He's good on the same spot that Toffoli's good at on the power play. I like Josh Levo, and I think if you can't bring back Toffoli and you go the Markstrom route and they don't get a contemporary bio, whatever the case may be, they can't afford to bring Toffoli back, Josh Levo's a decent replacement. He's obviously not Tyler Toffoli. He's not Ryan Kessler, but he's a decent replacement, and I think he's a very serviceable middle six winger, and he was scoring at a pretty good clip. And that being said, he was injured for most of the year, which kind of helps the Canucks, because Josh Levo's not going to be going for a big payday this offseason. Nobody's going to be forking out any big bucks for Levo. This isn't his time to cash in on his big contract of his career. He's 27, I think. There's no way that a team is going to offer him more than $2 million. I think he's making one and a half right now. So I I look at Josh Levo and I say this is a player the Canucks can get for pretty cheap. And I think for what he could actually bring to their lineup, I think that's pretty good value. Yeah, I think that whatever Josh Levo signs for next year... And I don't see it being over 2.75. I think that's the highest it can go. If it's, I expect like a two-year deal at somewhere between 2.5 and 2.75. I think it's or not even like it could be lower than that to be honest. And because of the injuries and because he hasn't really proven himself a ton at the NHL level, he's been a guy who's you know a little bit of a tweener when he was in Toronto, right? So he's a fourth line guy. So if he's making Man, if he's making under $2 million, that's insane, and he's so worth it for that money. Um, but I see him coming in somewhere around 2.5 on a two-year deal, and I still think he's well worth that money. So I think that's a contract that I would love to see signed and I'd love to see moving into the future because it's it's a contract that Jim Benning signed for a Vancouver Canucks. It's actually going to be worth it. And you know I don't know if we've had a ton of those in the past. So Josh Levo <laughs> would be one for me, uh, depending on what he comes in. And I, just, I don't see him getting over $3 million, which would be where I'd start to say, uh, you know... This is probably what he deserves for what he's going to bring to a team, but it's a little steep. But I just I don't see him making over three million a year on any team, really. And I think Vancouver is yeah. a team where he probably wants to stay. Like he fits into this group well. He's going to get an opportunity to play with very good players, whether it be on that second power play unit or the way that Travis Green likes to move him up and down the lineup. It's it's a great spot for Josh Levo if he wants to stay in Vancouver. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be getting more than three mil. I think that is for certain. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up the show here? 
No, it was good uh, to have J.D. Burke on here. He called you the quad father, which uh, I call you behind the scenes. Uh, it was nice for him to bring some of those things up. Uh, and uh, Corey, another good week by him. Corey crushed it on the Patreon this week. I'm going to be continuing to work on my draft series. I had a lot of fun uh, with the 2017 draft series. Um, and we'll be having the 2018 and 19 ones coming out next week. Corey's got part four coming out. So if you're not on the Patreon yet... $1.69 a month. That'll get you into all the articles. We are going to start including some other stuff in there. Um, and we'll probably record another bonus episode next week. Eh, Quad? Sometime in the middle of the week? Oh, we'll have to. I just get so bored during the middle of the week. We'll definitely yeah. have to. Yeah, <laughs> That's it for gosh. me, though, man. But I'm good. I'm dropping the Markstrom article soon. Giorgio just sent me the updated artwork. It's incredible. Mm. Like, it's it looks incredible. Good. She's so talented. Like, man, like, I, like, gush over how good this artwork <laughs> is. Like, I love it. But... That's going to be posted sometime this week. Drance has been looking at it and giving me a little tips on how to improve it and all that good stuff. But What's Drance are we doing? Just pressing week. enter at the end of every sentence? Yeah, exactly. Well, I already do that. I already <laughs> have that from his style, for sure. I definitely am guilty of doing that. But uh, it adds effect, Chris. Leave us alone. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's all we have for this week. So, for Chris Faber, my name is David Quadrelli. You've been listening to The Canucks Conversation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 